With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to this special edition of Football Digest Extra Time. Uh, no women's football podcast uh, this week, Women's Football Digest, I should say, this week. If you're tuning in for that, hopefully we will have the team back next week uh, to discuss and digest all the latest from the WSL and beyond. Uh, but for today, you've got myself and Connor Bromley here to take a look at some of the biggest transfer rumours uh, with, what is it, probably about six weeks to go now, isn't it, Connor, until uh, the January transfer window is well and truly open. So, of course, the news is starting to pick up a little bit, I think, isn't it, around around the transfers. We're starting to see uh, more and more names being linked to more and more clubs. Uh, we're going to run the rule over some of those rumours this morning. And we're going to start with one that was in uh, the Daily Mirror uh, website on the Daily Mirror website in the last 24 hours. And it's that Arsenal are plotting a move for Douglas Louise of Aston Villa. Now, Connor, of course, I think we've probably talked about it on previous podcasts as well, linking Douglas Louise with the move to Arsenal from Aston Villa. So it's not the first time that this has been discussed or raised as a rumour. Um, but the fact that they've spoken about him in the past, I think also had a, a bid for him in the past, didn't it? Memory serves me right. They 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 tried to launch a bid for him in the uh, August 2022 when they just before uh, deadline day around that one. So it's someone that they've clearly had an interest in for a long time, which shows that it's someone that they clearly think can fit in well at the club. It's not a case that, oh, he's playing well for Aston Villa, let's go and get him now. This is this is someone that they've been tracking for quite a while. So it suggests that it's someone that Arsenal are very, very keen on. I think so. If I look at that Arsenal team, I can I can see where he fits. Um, I think Thomas Partey has regressed a little bit as a player. I think if we're sat here at the start of last season, we're talking about him being probably one of Arsenal's key men. I don't think he necessarily is that anymore. Jorginho is a decent player, but again, is he what Arsenal you know need? Is he a Rolls Royce of a midfielder? He probably isn't. Um, he's certainly not the quickest. And I look at Douglas Ruiz and I look at how he's he's done at Aston Villa and I look at how, you know, he's got five goals this season, albeit three from the penalty spot. I think he kind of fits into what they're trying to do. And I think if I'm looking at their midfield and it's Declan Rice and Douglas Ruiz with Martin Odegaard just play ahead of them in the, the number 10, I think that's that's a really, really strong base for Arsenal to, to build from. Um, the only thing I would say is, I mean, we're going to talk about midfielders again later when we talk about Casemiro, but is he at the level of a Shaboshlai who, who moved to Liverpool in the summer? That That's the level of player that also need to be bringing in. Um, and I don't know if he's necessarily, you know, that A-plus player. I think maybe he's just kind of an A. And when you're, you're going for the, the major honours, trying to win Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues, which also you know, at this stage, probably think there should be, or certainly competing for them. Is Douglas Ruiz that level of a player? I don't know. I think the jury would be out on that one. So I can see the logic behind it. I don't know what the costings would be. I don't know if that's in the, the Daily Mirror report, but it feels to me like, you know, you could be spending 
60 million pounds plus uh, for a 25 year old who's playing every week in the Premier League for a team that's actually challenging for the top four. You know, I, I don't think it'll be easy to prize him from Aston Villa, but I can see the logic. I can see him fitting into that Arsenal team for sure. I was about to say the next question that I've got on the running order here is, is uh, have you been impressed with Douglas Louise since Aston Villa's return to the Premier League? And judging by your answer there, you're probably uh, not not like myself who who has been highly impressed with him and definitely over the last couple of seasons for sure. Um, you don't seem too convinced by him that he's ready to make that step up perhaps into uh, into a, a, a title challenging team. You know, of course we can't say a top four challenging team because Aston Villa have had such a great start to the season that you kind of think that they might be in and around that uh, discussion for, for the rest of the campaign. But in terms of making that next step to the title show, you don't seem to think he has that within his calibre by the sounds of that art or if I don't, have I read you completely wrong there? I think it's just that the, the jury's out on it. It's not that he isn't good enough. I don't know if he'd be good enough. I mean, nobody would know if he's going to be good enough to jump in. You don't know how he'd acclimatise and fit into Miguel Arteta's style of play. I just don't know if he's, you know a genuine world-class, you know, Arsenal are trying to become one of the best teams in European football. I just don't know if he is at the level of, Shaboshlai is the example I'd use, but Shaboshlai, who for me is coming to Liverpool and immediately looks like one of the best players in the Premier League, immediately looks like one of the best midfielders. I just don't, like Douglas Luiz is a, a rock-solid player. He's a, he's a brilliant player. There's no denying that. I just don't know if he's at the level needed if you want to win the Champions League are you going to win the Champions League with Douglas Ruiz in the middle of the park? That's kind of what I was getting at. And I'm not saying that he can't. He could go in there and take his game up another level again. I'm just not sure if he is the calibre of player you'd want to really upgrade that midfield and, and bring it up a level. I mean, we saw Declan Rice goes in, and I think Declan Rice is an absolute Rolls-Royce of a player. I think he's an amazing footballer. Even that game... Last weekend, uh, a couple of weekends ago at Newcastle, even though they lost that game, he was phenomenal break and play, breaking the lines, picking up the ball in defensive midfield and running 50 yards with it. He's so good at that and he's clearly upgraded that Arsenal team. I just, I don't know if Douglas Luiz would necessarily have the same impact that Declan Rice has had at Arsenal. Well, Declan Rice is the interesting point here because for me, I'm trying to plot where, whilst I think Douglas Luiz is a, is a good player, I'm trying to plot where he would fit in to this Arsenal team at the minute. And for me, it is that that Declan Rice role, I think kind of, you know, he's, he's come in and he's, he's kind of been the, you know, you wouldn't say anchorman, but he's been the, the more deep line of the, uh, of the Arsenal midfielders um, definitely at the start of the season. I know since Jorginho has come into the side that he's kind of gone a little bit more uh, further up the pitch and Jorginho has kind of taken that, that shielding role in front of the back four. But where does, you know, Douglas Luiz fits in? Does that then mean that Declan Rice does go a little bit more forward and rather than kind of being your more orthodox defensive midfielder, as you say there, breaking up play, carrying the ball forward, becomes more of a box-to-box player? Do, 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 does he allow Declan Rice to do that? In essence, and in short, you know, is Douglas Luiz the type of midfielder that Arsenal needs to be looking at to strengthen their midfield in January? Or is there perhaps other options that they should be looking at other players, other types of players that they perhaps maybe should be looking at first before coming to Douglas Luiz. I think I think you raise some interesting points there. I mean, you would think that Edu and, and Mikel Arteta have thought about where he'd slot in. Mikel Arteta probably knows him from his Man City days as well and probably has an idea of where he fits into that Arsenal team. But you're right, I don't know. I don't know if he is the, the, the right fit in there. Um, 
I think it's an interesting one. I think it'd be really interesting to see how he does slot into that team if they were to bring him in. And maybe the idea is is to allow that sort of front four to be more advanced. So you've got two sort of sitting players, two link-ups between the defence and midfield, two, you know, genuine box-to-box players. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like this is a, a move that on paper kind of makes sense but when you dig deeper on it I don't know if it's necessarily 100% what Arsenal need and whether or not the resources would be better spent on a different sort of midfield player Um, but he is a good player you know you look at what he's done with Aston Villa Aston Villa are competing at the top end of the league and he's a a massive part of that team Unai Emery's I think taking his game up a level again compared to when Arsenal were trying to sign him last summer so it certainly wouldn't be a bad sign. I just don't know if, if it's uh, a signing that would, you know, as I said before, kind of take also the next level. I think they need maybe a different sort of defensive midfield player. Maybe, I mean, I know that they're, they're rare, but an N'Golo Kante type player who's going to really protect that back four and allow maybe Declan Rice to push. I mean, we mentioned before, with Jorginho kind of does that with Declan Rice. Maybe you need an upgrade on that Jorginho type player who can allow Declan Rice to maybe become much more of a box-to-box attacking player um, and you want somebody next to him who's just going to sit and break up play. Um, and I don't know if Douglas Louise is necessarily that. He seems to be much more of a, an attacking player, somebody who likes to join the attack like Declan Rice. Just finally on Arsenal, I think both of us, we've said it on previous podcasts that yes, they are riding high in the Premier League and yes, they look on course to reach the knockout stages of the Champions League, but... For some reason, it just doesn't seem to have clicked really for Arsenal. Now, of course, that's probably a fear for everyone else in the Premier League that if and when it does click, that they might go on a great run and, and really kind of, you know, see the title challenge through perhaps this year. But with that in mind, the fact that they haven't clicked so far this year, that maybe one or two of the signings haven't perhaps bedded in as well as they would have liked, uh, or obviously injured in the case of, of Yuri and Timber. What else do Arsenal need in January to strengthen their hopes of a long-term title challenge or, or maybe even winning the title this season? It's a, it's a big question. I think it's probably the question on many Arsenal fans left because you, you actually look at their team and you don't see many holes. I would say the obvious area for me is centre-forward. Um, I really like Gabriel Jesus. I really like Eddie Nketiah, but they're not... They're not world you know as we talked about before like the a plus players you know and douglas louise for me fits into that a category and i feel like gabriel jesus is probably an a you know man city looked at him they used him for years but they needed an upgrade up there to take themselves to the next level and they got that with Erlen holland i think gabriel jesus i look at him and i go a he's injury prone you know i also haven't been able to get him um, fit and firing, you know, or even this season, I don't know how many games he's played, but he seems to have been on the shelf for most of the campaign. And Eddie Nketiah, he's a good striker, but he feels to me like he's probably should be leading the line for Crystal Palace. You know, I don't think he should be leading the line for Arsenal. Um, I don't think he's he's good enough. And you see, even at times last season, when Nketiah was leading the line for them, in then big moments, I remember they played Everton away last season and he missed a really good opportunity to give Arsenal the lead and, and probably to go on and win that game and they end up losing it. I just don't necessarily look at their forward options and think that they're good enough to sustain Premier League title challenges, Champions League challenges, domestic cup challenges. I think they desperately need to upgrade that area of the team. And I think that's probably where I'd be putting my resources. 
especially since you can't rely on Jesus to be fit. If if Gabriel Jesus is fit and firing for Arsenal for the 38 games, 50 say with, with all the other competitions, I don't think Arsenal necessarily have to rush to upgrade that position because Jesus probably can get you 20 goals, 25 goals in all competitions. But because he's injured so often, you're relying on pretty much just Eddie and Ketia to run that forward line. I think they have to go out and try and find somebody to upgrade there because otherwise it's probably where the title challenge comes unstuck, in my opinion, come the end of the season. If they don't bring in a striker who can, you know, take the load off some of the other players, you know, you look at, again, I keep referencing back to this Newcastle game, but that Newcastle game, I think Arsenal struggled because their wingers were taken out of the game. Martinelli and uh, Saka couldn't influence the game because of the way Newcastle played. But I didn't think Eddie Nketiah is good enough in the middle to put himself about and create and distract Newcastle's game plan so that Newcastle have to worry more about the central option. And I think if they had a, a better number nine in there, then maybe that frees up Saka and Martinelli and you can, you know, create more and get more chances. So I, I do think that's a an area of concern for Arsenal. And I think anybody who watches Arsenal would probably say that Nketiah, while he's a decent player, he's probably best left to be a, an impact player in the last 20 minutes rather than somebody you're relying on to sort of start and play every single game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sticking with strikers, uh, moving over to a story from our friends at Football.London now, who are reporting that Chelsea will be unlikely to bid for Napoli forward Victor Ossiman in January. Connery is one of the hottest players in Europe. Everyone um, knows what he's all about. Obviously, a great season last year, firing Napoli to the title. Um, we'll come on to the fact that he probably wants to, to leave and has been looking to leave for the last few months because that relationship seems to have gone a little bit sour for things on and off the pitch as well, I think, at, at Napoli this season. For Chelsea fans, though, this news likely to disappoint and when you hear that you're linked with a player like Victor Rossiman you probably get quite excited so to hear that you're going to put that on the back burner for now come back from in the summer you, you'd be a bit little bit deflated but I suppose one person who will be delighted by it is probably Nicholas Jackson knowing that he's not got one of Europe's hottest strikers to compete with for that starting spot especially when he's starting to find the back of the net a little bit more regularly than he had done earlier on in the campaign. Yeah, I think Nicholas Jackson will be happy. I think Christopher and Kungu will be happy as well. And that's the thing that people forget with Chelsea. They do have, you know, another striker waiting there who's, I think, you know, potentially going to be one of the, the best strikers in the league. Um, so 
there is that. Do you want to add in another player in there to compete for that sort of one spot in that Chelsea team? Um, you know, you can have almost too many world-class players. And I think if Nicholas Jackson was to be third string at Chelsea, you know, would he actually get minutes? And if he's not getting minutes, well, what was the point of buying him in the first place? And as I say with Nkungu, if you if you brought Nkungu in to be a lead man, then he's been injured and you've not actually seen him play. And then in the January, you go out and buy Victor Washington, and then there was no point of doing that bit of business. Um, I think for Chelsea, it probably would be a shame in some ways if they weren't to get Oshiman because he's obviously a world-class player but I think you just have to look at the bigger picture you can't just spend £120 million which is probably the rough fee you'd have to pay Napoli um, on a striker you can't keep spending that level of money so in some ways maybe the, the boat's kind of sailed on that one which it makes you wonder again if Oshiman to the Premier League is actually going to happen because I, I don't see a, sort of a, a logical fit for him right now in the Premier League um, maybe if Liverpool sold Mohamed Salah for £200 million to Saudi Arabia, maybe there could be a fit there, but there doesn't seem to be a logical team. I mean, we talked about Arsenal maybe needing a striker, but again, I don't see Arsenal going out and spending the £120 million probably that it would need to bring him into the club. Um, so I think I think ultimately January is not the time to make these transfers, is it? You know, how often the only one I can think of, the top of my head being a huge one is Virgil van Dijk when he went to Liverpool. It's not often teams make these huge deals in January, which is, suppose in this instance, caveated with the fact that we know that Oshiman isn't happy at Napoli. We all saw kind of the social media fallout, the the TikTok that uh, happened there. So I can see that maybe he wants out, which is why a January move could be pushed through. But generally, January is a place to make sort of plaster repairs, not full surgery. I don't see a team going out and spending the money needed um, to bring him into a club in the middle of the season. You say that, and I understand your point there, that obviously it's going to be a big outlay for whoever goes after him. Um, uh, And I completely understand that point. But given the player that he is, and given that there's going to be plenty of clubs looking at him, thinking, oh, he'll do a job for us. And we're talking big, big clubs in Europe. You know, we're talking, you know, the biggest teams in Europe that are probably eyeing him up, thinking, yeah, he'll lead our line for the next kind of, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Are Chelsea perhaps then missing a step by not going for him in January, where the player himself seems to be open to a move to Stamford Bridge by all reports? But by putting it back to next summer, there's a potential that you allow either someone to come in in January, someone else to come in for him in January and steal him from under your noses. Or again, likewise, come next summer, you know, there's going to be a lot of clubs who, you know, as you say, January is more of a sticking plaster one, but the summer is more of a long-term planning. Well, there's going to be more clubs planning long-term and having Victor Osman potentially in their plans long-term that, that will be looking at him next summer. So are Chelsea missing a step here by not going for him in January to make sure that they do get him and kind of perhaps reduce the potential competition they might face for his signature, even if the player is quite keen on the move to Stamford Bridge. I kind of, I understand that, but I look at the transfer market where it is. I and mean, if we go through the Premier League teams, Man City are going to be signing a new striker anytime soon. Arsenal could be an option for Ossiman, but I feel like they, I don't see them necessarily spending the hundred and plus million pounds on them that would be required, but I suppose they would be an interested party. Liverpool, logically right now, you wouldn't say with their current squad, they've got Darwin Nunes as well. I don't see them going out and making that transfer. 
Manchester United just bought in Hoysland. So again, do we see them making that move? I think the time for them to bring in Osterman was probably the summer just gone and they haven't. Bayern Munich, we've got Harry Kane. So they're not going to be making that move. Barcelona, we all, I mean, they, they do seem to find money, to be fair to them. They do seem to find the, the resources. But I don't think we could look at Barcelona and say that they're likely to spend this level of money on a player. Paris Saint-Germain could be an interesting one if they lose Mbappe, but I've sort of seen reports that apparently Real Madrid aren't as interested in Mbappe now. Maybe that's a negotiating tactic. But PSG are probably the main threat for that signature. And then Real Madrid on top of that, if Real Madrid don't go on for Mbappe, they still need to bring in a big player. So maybe they would be a threat. So I think they'd only be going against, in my opinion, PSG and Real Madrid for that signature. And... I think if them two teams were interested, I think Oshman would go there anyway. I think he got a, a whiff that Real Madrid were interested in him for the summer, say. I think he'd probably hold out, wouldn't he? I don't think he would make that Chelsea move. So I think that for me, I would wait until the summer if I was Chelsea. I don't think they need to to make that move right now, especially when Nkungu could be the answer to all their problems and could be the finisher they're looking for. You know, what's the point in going out and spending a hundred million plus on Oshiman, if you've got your own version of that here that you've just not seen because he's been injured, I just think it it wouldn't really make that much sense for Chelsea to make that move in January. But the transfer policy has been wacky, hasn't it? It's been crazy since Todd Bowles went in there. So would I be surprised if they decided to go all out and buy him in January? No, but I just think logically, I look at that Chelsea team and just think that if they want him, they need to see what they've got within Kungu first, which means waiting until the summer. Spare thought too for Armando Brogia, who you've cruelly left out of your discussion there about Chelsea's forward options and Raheem Sterling. Interestingly, this week, uh, comments coming from Raheem Sterling um, suggesting that he thinks that Brogia can really, really go on to, to high heights and that he's got a good track record of predicting that with young players in the past. Just finally on Chelsea though, Connor, um, do they need to do anything in January? And I say this with the fact that I know that the Premier League start hasn't gone as well as they would have planned and hoped for. But when you've had such a big turnaround in squads and players, what was it, the statistic earlier in the season that when they played Luton, uh, the only player that, that had featured uh, about 18 months prior against Luton in an FA Cup tie was Ross Barkley, who was now playing for Luton instead. That was the only player from that fixture for Chelsea that was still involved. Um, and, and obviously for the opposition that time around. So with regards to that and the fact that Chelsea have had so many players come in, is it just a case of, you know, maybe offloading one or two in January rather than looking at incomings perhaps and just letting this team that have come in from everywhere and every club and so many new players, just letting them have a little bit more time together. And that might be the solution to their issues rather than going and spending, you know, potentially they're not going to do it now, but if they were to spend 150 million on Ossiman, maybe the answer is a little bit cheaper and, and just allowing the team to bond that little bit more. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Chelsea could really do with a quiet transfer window. Maybe, as you said, tinker on the edges of, of trimming the squad a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it wouldn't make sense to do what they did last January and just go out and just buy lots of players. But also on top of that, January is generally a bad time to buy players anyway because it's it's where the panic buys happen. It where, it's where teams who are maybe not performing as well as they'd hoped go out and buy a player and end up paying over the odds because they want to be competing higher in the league. I think the January transfer window generally is more of a benefit to the teams at the bottom end of the Premier League who, who need a bit more open heart surgery. Chelsea 
are heading in the right direction. You know, I know they've had some iffy results and they're not. I don't think they're going to get into the top five. I don't even know if they'll get European football at the end of the season. But from where they were at the end of last season with Frank Lampard somehow at the helm there and just a miracle that he ended up back in that job. But compared to where they were then to where they are now, I think there's a massive difference. And and Chelsea, for me, are just heading in the right direction. So I don't see them in January. And I don't think Pochettino would want to, in January, go out and change the dynamic of the squad. The only thing I could see happening is, is if there's a player that they do want it in, so they were thinking about it for the summer and it becomes sort of available earlier at a cheaper price. I mean, it's kind of what we're talking about Oshiman, wasn't it? Like if Oshiman becomes available and Napoli are willing to sell for a really good price, much lower than you expect, do you go out and do it? Maybe, but I don't see them doing anything. I'd be surprised if they bring in more than one or two players. And I suspect they'd be maybe periphery players and not starters, maybe project players and not long-term signings that are instantly going to go on the start 11. Cause I just think, they're finally beginning to look settled. They finally look like you can sort of guess the Chelsea eleven on a Saturday afternoon at two o'clock before the play, which we haven't been able to say for a year. Mike, keep the receipt of that prediction that Chelsea won't have a busy January window and just just keep that for afterwards, maybe February, and just play it back to you if I'm uh, particularly cruel there. Connor, though, one other player that has been linked with a, a, an exit uh, this January is uh, Casemiro from Manchester United. Great first season, struggling to hit those heights in the second campaign, has been linked with a move to Saudi Arabia, who we all know have got lots and lots of money, still lots and lots of money to, to chuck around and, and bid for players with. So I suppose... If someone comes in with a big money offer for a 31-year-old, it doesn't matter how well they're playing. And if they're not hitting the heights that you're expecting of them, like Casemiro is, you'd definitely be looking at a bid for him. But even if he was playing well, it would be remiss at the age that he is, 31 years old, and someone comes in with a nice, tidy, high offer for him that, that you would kind of have to consider it, wouldn't you? You'd be like, mm, maybe, maybe I didn't want to sell him, but, but maybe now for that price, I, I might be interested. Oh, I'd sell him. I'd sell him in a heartbeat. I think even his wages are so astronomically high that selling him for nothing, you just cut your losses and go, well, at least we don't have to pay his wage anymore. I think this season he's been, I don't know, maybe if he's carrying an injury, maybe, and he's just trying to play through it because he's a bit of a warrior, but he's a very different player. That League Cup final they played last season against Newcastle, he was so good and so, he just controlled the game and you felt like with him on the pitch, Manchester United wouldn't lose and obviously they won that day. And I look at him now and I just think he, he looks hopeless. Um, I, t- I did before we came on, I did sort of a comparison to Rodri and I got the two stats together. And I know that that's it's probably unfair on Casemiro, but ultimately he's Man United's Rodri, isn't he? That's what he's meant to be. And Rodri's got six goal contributions this season. Casemiro's got one. Casemiro's only got 13 progressive dribbles. Rodri's got 83. Um, Casemiro's done 213 dribbles. Rodri's had 651. Casemiro's regained the ball 107 times. Rodri's regained it 129. So they're meant to be similar. Like when Man United bought in Casemiro, I would guess the thought process was he will be our rock in front of the back four. And I know Rodri is the best at it, but them stats show that there's a chasm between the two. They're not even close. And 
the worry is for Manchester United is that they're kind of relying on him to somehow sort of find form when all season he's looked so far off the pace. And if they get offered any amount of money for him in January, and unless there's a reason for how poor he's been, like i.e. he needs surgery, but he's holding off because he wants to play through it. If this is just who he is as a footballer now, because he's 31, because he's played so much football up to this point in, He's got miles, you know, if you didn't think about a call, he's got some miles on the clock, hasn't he? I think that you would probably sell him. You know, I think it, it would just make sense. I think it goes back to when they brought them in, brought him in last summer. We all thought, well, he's a brilliant player, but we looked at his age and went, how many good years are you going to get out of him? And I think that's sort of telling right now. They need to replace him. They only brought him in last summer and they're already needing to replace him that that just shows bad recruitment bad planning I don't think other top teams in the Premier League would have made that transfer you know I don't think Arsenal would have went out and bought Casemiro for what was it 60 million pounds I don't think they would have done that I don't think Liverpool would have done that I mean look at Liverpool I mean they've been doing the opposite they've been flogging their players over the age of 30 and bringing in younger ones no Man City wouldn't have made that transfer either and it just shows where Manchester United are that they saw Casemiro saw what he's done in his career kind of ignored the longevity of the transfer and just thought we'll bring him in and he'll help for what's turned out to be a season, like even a season or two, just a season. It it just shows bad plan and bad recruitment. We've talked about Man United's recruitment before on this podcast umpteen times. And this to me is another transfer that just in the end stinks in terms of what they were getting for value for money, the wages that they've put into Casemiro. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it didn't at the time and now we're sort of seeing that come to fruition and that it's been a ultimately a bad bit of business. We've got a league cup to show for it and that's it. If Casemiro was to leave in January, and I suppose even if he isn't, uh, the, the glowing uh, recommendation that you gave for him or perhaps not so uh, there would suggest that you think Manchester United should be in the market anyway for a new defensive midfielder in January. So even if he was to leave, obviously that adds a bit more to the, to the kitty. But is there anyone in mind that, that United should be Looking at you, look at that squad. There's not really too many other defensive minded players. I know they like to play Scott McTominay there, but we're seeing with him on Scotland duty that when he plays a little bit further forward, he's an absolute goal machine. So, Matthew Man United should do that. However, then that leaves them with uh, a, a very, you know, big lack of, of defensive minded players in that midfield. So, they probably do need someone else to come in there um, if, if Casemiro was to move on. So, is there anyone in mind for you potentially that, that could do that job for them? Well, they brought an Amrabat, didn't they, in the summer, which I would guess is kind of the Casemiro replacement. I mean, I remember Roy Keane, uh, I think it was Roy Keane, it might be Gary Neville anyway, on the Super Sunday panel, they were doing the dinger in that Man United spent a fortune on Casemiro and then 12 months later I replaced him with Amrabat. So maybe that's the thought process they've already made that transfer. If Manchester United are going to have, you know, sort of that open heart surgery on their midfield in January, it's going to cost them an arm and a leg. That, and it's it's not the time really to do it. But I think... Casemiro was hurting them so much that if they were offered a, a silly move from Saudi Arabia and they did sell him, they probably would have to bring in a player. Maybe they go down the line they did last January where they brought in Veghorst on loan to help up front and they brought in Sabitzer to help in midfield on loan. Maybe that's the angle they go down, right? Let's just get a temporary fix and then readdress the problem in the summer. But the, the issue with that is I don't trust Eric Ten Hag and the the you know, the football people at Manchester United to get that summer business right anyway, you know, that this the recruitment is so poor at Manchester United that 
you you would suspect they'll probably make a mistake in the the pursuit to replace Casemiro, you know, and and that's been the issue. They'll probably bring in somebody from the area divisie who's who's not good enough because that's basically been the transfer policy of Eric Ten Hag since he's been in there. So I don't know. They probably will go out in January and spend a fortune on someone, and it'll be a giant mistake. It's kind of the Manchester United way, though, at the minute, isn't it? I'll tell you what, it tells you how good uh, Sophie and Amrabat has been for Man United. I've completely forgotten uh, that he'd gone there on loan uh, in in the summer, uh, such has been the impact that he's had so far. Uh, but you're right, yes, they do have him, so maybe they don't have to go out. Maybe they can just go and get another player in on loan uh, to, to fill any void left by Casemiro. Uh, Connor, thank you so much for joining us as always this morning. Really appreciate your time as ever. Of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest transfer rumours, transfer news, everything transfer-related that you can could shake a stick out ahead of the January window opening across the Daily Star, Daily Mirror and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye.